So we're in the middle of a series called Swipe Right, where we're attempting to examine the myths of both the church and the culture when it comes to bodies. And last week, we talked about two myths. The first is this, that it, being married is superior to being single. Being married is superior to being single. And if you've been around the church for a while, you have heard some version of that myth. Someone after service at our downtown parish came up to me last Sunday and repeated one of the things that had been said to them when they were single that was so offensive about being single. It was so offensive, they had to whisper it and make sure no one else was around. I mean, the stories that I've heard are remarkable. And what we said, using the words of Paul, is that being single is a gift and it is a calling. It is not a curse. Now, it can be a short-term gift or maybe it's a lifetime vocation, but it is a gift and not a curse. The second thing we looked at is that it is this myth that sex is bad or dirty. And using Song of Solomon's, we said that being a sexual being is a good and a beautiful gift. And so many of you came up to me afterwards and thanked me for the sermon and said what a powerful word it had been in your life. And then a few of you came up and said, you know, I really appreciate the sermon, but it almost feels if maybe you gave a, too, a little too much freedom and maybe there should have been a stronger but at the end because people hear what they want to hear. If you're looking for the but, today is your day. But just in case, I... <laughs> Just in case, so I can be a little stronger and just really summarize the sermon, I thought um, we should begin with a clip from Mean Girls, because what better way? Um, so here you go. I guess I'll never know what I missed on that first day of health class. Don't have sex, because you will get pregnant and die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise? Okay, everybody take some rubbers. <laughs> So there you go. Um, that may be the first time you've ever seen Mean Girls at church, and the last. Okay. What I want to say is that while the Bible affirms the goodness of bodies and affirms that we are created as sexual beings, our desires and our passions are shaped and formed often by unhealthy stories. We are inhabited beings. We are shaped and formed by the stories that we live within. And so I want to talk about one of the myths of our culture, one of the myths that our culture tells us about sex, and I think it may make some of us a bit uncomfortable, and the myth is this, sex is just physical. The dominant idea in culture is that sex between two consenting adults is always okay because there's nothing deeper going on. It's simply two people providing physical pleasure to one another. And anyone who tells you differently, the story goes, anyone who tells you differently is just imposing their puritanical religious views on you. One article in Psychology Today said something along these lines. It compared having um, uh, uncommitted sex, it compared it to mountain climbing. Yes, there are going to be moments of fear and scariness, and maybe you'll get a little dinged up, but, the moments of, but, the, but then there will be highs which will be so exhilarating that it makes it all worthwhile. And within this viewpoint, except within the most extreme cases, the dominant um, arbiter of the sexual ethic is something called consent. Right? That's kind of the arbiter. As long as there is consent between these, these two individuals, everything is fair game. The heart wants what the heart wants. But the problem is, is that the sexual ethic of consent is rapidly unraveling. 
The Me Too movement has helped expose the cracks in this flawed ethic because consent gets a bit problematic when power dynamics are added into the relationship. And there are few relationships without some sort of power dynamic. And so whether it's a relationship between, in the academic world, maybe between teacher and student, even at like graduate level, um, there is the, the power dynamic at work between boss and employee, there's media, there's fame, there's all these different power dynamics at play. But consent also begins to unravel when, with people who, um, at, the college, at, in, at college, right? The number of young women who are assaulted on college campuses is astronomical. Some, some studies say it's somewhere around 25% of women on a college campus have been sexually assaulted. It's an epidemic. And some of those assaults are completely random attacks, but many of them fall into a fuzzy line of consent. And then, of course, there's consent within a relationship. Right? Because you want a relationship, or, or be, you know, right? like if you love me, you will do this, or there's consent because your significant other pressures you. You get the idea. And this is really hard to police because if sex is just physical, two people having a good time, maybe with a couple drinks, one thing leads to another, it's just all good, clean fun. But increasingly, we're discovering that consent is really, it's a really cloudy ethical arbiter. And at the same time, we are beginning to realize that sex is not just physical. It has a powerful emotional and spiritual impact. So I want to press this point home just a bit by asking you three questions. First, if sex is just physical, why is it that when, when someone realizes as an adult that they were sexually abused as a child, it hits them like a ton of bricks and often begins to unravel their life? Second question, why is it that, if sexual, that sexual assault is so much more devastating than simply being beat up? And question three, if sex is just physical, why is it that most people's greatest regrets are sexual? Now, there's a study actually um, done by Canadians that said that among men, this is about uncommitted sex, um, one-night stands, hookups, all that. Among men, um, or among women, the, the 78% of women expressed regret. 72% of women expressed regret. Now, those of you who are really quick and fast, you already have an answer for this. You're like, well, it's because of the puritanical views that have been put upon us by religious bodies, right? This is why we feel this regret. If we could be released from that, then there wouldn't be this regret. But the problem is, is that they actually did a comparative study between Midwesterners, who are a little more uptight and religious, and, and, and Norwegians, right? And Norwegians, we know, are godless. They don't believe in anything. <laughs> and what they found out... What they found out is that it was almost the levels of regret were identical between Midwesterners in the United States and secular Norwegianers. Why? Because sexuality and sexual behavior, it's not just physical. It touches and is rooted at your deepest level of your being. And we do ourselves a disservice when we separate body and soul because God created our body and soul as a holistic unit. And if you treat it like it's just physical, you will hurt yourself and often someone else in ways that sometimes you don't even imagine. Now, what I wanted, what we were trying to say last week is that sex is an an incredible gift. It's a gift that God used to bring people together. It creates a bond. Genesis tells us that in, that Genesis tells us that the two become one. Now, modern folk, we roll our eyes at the 
these views that we find within scripture. The, and then pesky science comes along and says maybe the Bible isn't as far off as we once thought. Scientists are now beginning to make the connection in which the way that sex bonds us to one another. Did you know that when you, when you have intercourse, um, during orgasm, this is, this is uncomfortable for me to talk about, I realize that I, <laughs> I come from those mid, uh, repressed Midwestern genes, um, but when you, when you orgasm, a, a hormone by the name of oxytocin is released. And oxytocin um, is released by both men and women, and it is made to bring them together to create a feeling of attachment. It makes couples feel closer. And the more times you have sex, the closer that, and the more powerful that bond becomes. Another hormone is also released called vasopressin. It's another important hormone that's important for long-term commitment. It binds people together. And this, this is like, this is totally just Kevin's advice, um, and take religion out of it, but this is why you make a mistake if you allow your physical relationship to lead, physical to allow, lead the relationship, because you'll often end up bonding yourself emotionally to someone you don't want to be with. In fact, the New York Times had a fascinating article on, on, on couples that lived together before marriage, and this is just like, this is completely secular. They said the problem is, is that they become so intertwined with one another and then they realize, I want nothing to do with you and then the bonds are so connected, it's very hard to separate. And so when people ask my advice on physical relationship, I always tell them that, that your, a physical, um, your physical commitment should also follow along with your emotional commitment. As you move along in this relationship, you can't allow the physical to lead the way. But we live in a culture that wants to make sex simply surface level. It's just, it's just two people providing pleasure to one another. But in your heart of hearts and in your gut, you know that it's more than just physical. Sexual behavior is not just physical. It touches and is rooted to you at the deepest level of your being. And so this morning, I want to dig down just a bit deeper and see what the Bible has to say. And so we're going to return once again to 1 Corinthians in the words of Paul. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 12. Now, t this morning, um, if you'll notice, we normally I preach from a couple different versions of the Bible, typically the NIV. Um, this morning, I'm going to use... Uh, the NIV, and then also the message version, um, which is an incredible translation. I was listening to a, a, another sermon, and the pastor quoted something from the message that is a, is a passage that I'd read a hundred times, and it, it just came to life in a way that I'd never had before. And, and I woke up in the middle of the night just thinking, I need to... I need to see how... I'd already planned on preaching on 1 Corinthians 6. I want to see how the message approaches this passage. And, and, and it does such a nice job helping Paul's words come to life. If you've not read the message, like you should grab yourself a copy. You should also read it along like a more traditional uh, Bible, like the NIV. Um, but yeah, listen to this. Paul begins with these words. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. That's so good. Paul's saying, yeah, sure, we find freedom in Christ because this is, the, this is the challenge. The early church was coming to Paul and said, well, but you preach freedom. We are released from all the laws of the past. Now you seem to be coming and wanting to kill our fun. And Paul's saying, just because something is permissible doesn't mean it's beneficial. 
We as a culture, we misunderstand freedom. We think freedom is a, is a path to do whatever we want, but true freedom is being released from the things that hold you captive in your life because too many of you have followed your whims and those things that you thought were freedom now hold you captive. This is so important, particularly when it comes to issues of sex, because sexual boundaries and ethics aren't about guilting people. Instead, it's about pointing people to a better way of living. Because if you've paid any attention to the, to, um, the news over the past month, what you are quickly realizing is our dominant sexual ethics are failing us. We don't know how to relate to one another. What is permissible and what isn't permissible? What is consent and what isn't? Right? It's getting so fuzzy. And because for too often when it comes to sex, we've said, we have said we allow our desires and our passions to drive us into places that aren't healthy. We're controlled often by our desires and, 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 a, and, a, and our culture is worried to tell us not to because nobody wants to tell us how to live our lives. But you need to know that your passions and desires left unchecked, listen, your passions and desires, there's nothing wrong with being a sexual being and having desire. That is all fine and good. That makes you human. So many of you have been carrying guilt around simply because you're human. But you need to know that if you are not forming and shaping those desires towards a healthy way of living, towards the good life, as, as outlined, I believe, in, in Scripture, if you leave those unchecked, they will lead you down a path that leads to your own destruction. And you will wake up one day and realize, what have I done? Who have I become? Paul continues on. Uh, the first, the Corinthian church, the, the people who lived in Corinth loved maxims. Like they just, they're always quoting like pithy phrases. And so Paul, when he's responding to them, also often uses pithy phrases. So he responds, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach is meant for food. And everyone's like, yeah, sure, duh, pa, Paul. And then, and then he says, and then he kind of slips it and he says, and God will destroy both. And this, this, this is a theme that we find all throughout Paul's writings, particularly in the, his letter to the Corinth, is that God is over all things. All things fall under the power of God. The stomachs and the food that we crave are not enduring values. Then Paul answers a maxim with a maxim. He says this, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And one of the ideas that Paul continues to introduce is this idea, particularly those of us who are followers of Jesus. Right? This isn't just like, Paul honestly doesn't really care about giving ethical advice to other people. He's really concerned with giving ethical advice to people who say that they're followers of Jesus. And he says, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are united together. You are one body. Right? You, are, you are unique. You are special. Over 30 times, Paul uses this concept of one body in, in 1 Corinthians. He says things like, do you not know that, that you are members of Christ's body? You were made, you were made for more than just pursuing whatever your latest, the latest thing that caught your fancy. Whatever that might be, whether it be financial or whether it be relationship-wise or whatever, right? You were made for more. And then Paul continues. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And with this statement, Paul strikes at the heart of its just physical or my bodies, my rules. 
Paul says, if you're not a Christian, it's fine, whatever. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you commit yourself to living by a different set of standards. And then he continues. Shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Then he says, listen, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. I wanted to stop and, and say for a moment, have you ever stopped and thought about what it is that you are looking for when you engage in a, in, a, in a sexual relationship? Like, what is it that you're hoping for, that you're longing for, right? Part of it's pleasure. Part of it is our, our hormones drive us and to points where we're like, I, I, I am on a path that I cannot stop myself on from now, it feels like. But at the end of the day, we are lonely people longing to be loved and accepted, and by engaging in the physical activity of sex, we are opening ourselves up to another person in an incredibly vulnerable way. There's, there's very few things more vulnerable than being naked in front of another person, right? You are literally naked in front of this other person. Like, it is all exposed. But the problem is, and you don't need your pastor to tell you this, but so often those things that you thought were going to fill some sort of void in your life leaves you feeling more lonely and empty than before. Because what you long for is intimacy. What you long for is acceptance. What you long for is love. Listen, we continue on the words of Paul. The kind of sex that can never become one. The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in you and through your body. Scripture is clear on this point that science is now catching up to us on. It's that sex isn't just physical. What we do with our body impacts our spirit. It impacts our emotions. It impacts who we are becoming because we are inhabited beings, right? This is just a, a one-off comment, but there's all kinds of research out there that talks about the ways that we are engaging in sex, the way that we're engaging online, is literally beginning to reshape and to reform our brain. It is creating grooves in our brain that are, that are actually changing who we are. This is why so many people are freaking out right now about social media and online avenues and all the other things because it is changing who, literally changing who we are. We are habited beings. Now, for some of you, this is probably raising a few questions. Right? Is it wrong to sleep with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? Is it wrong if I occasionally hook up with a friend of mine? Some of you are asking, can I? Some of you are asking, should I? Some of you are asking, should I stop? And what I want to say, and I think Paul wants to, would agree with me, is that you're asking the wrong question. Because for Christians, for Christians, it's not, what can I get away with? Because you know this, the moment someone creates a line, you scoot all the way up to the line as close as you can get, and then you stick your toe over just to wait and see if lightning strikes. But that's not the way we should live as followers of Jesus. 
God created these boundaries, these guidelines for our good. There's this story in Mark's gospel where Jesus is getting into a little bit of a tiff with the disciples over the issue of Sabbath, right? Sabbath was this very structured day and and no one is supposed to do certain things on the Sabbath. And and Jesus is like, and they're all upset because Jesus did something on the Sabbath he shouldn't have done. And and he says this, he's like, you understand this, right? The Sabbath is for man. It is a gift. Man was not created for the Sabbath, right? It's a gift. And that's the exact same thing that's going on with issues like sex. The question, I believe, the question should not be whether this is something you can get away with. The question shouldn't be, am I, can I go to heaven and still get away with? The question should be, does this keep me from having the life and the relationship and the intimacy that God intended for me? Or does it cause me to just use another person for my own pleasure? Does it cause me to turn a beloved child of God into an object of my pleasure and the end cause us both to have regrets? The question needs to be, not what can I get away with, the question needs to be, how do I honor God with my body? How do I best respect someone else who was created in the image of God? Here's the question. God, how do I best as a single, how do I best as someone who's living in a culture that totally doesn't understand these frameworks that I'm trying to live my life within, how do I best honor you with my body? Now I get it. This this question hits us, or this question, this sermon hits us in all sorts of place. For some of you, it brings up regrets, and for some of you, it brings up guilt, and for some of you, I wish, it brings up thoughts like, I wish I'd heard this a while ago. So here's what I want to do. This is not, like, the thing is, guilt and regret and shame, all it does is push us, it it keeps us from moving forward. The words of Paul are not written so you regret that's not the point it's so you choose to live a different way there's a better way this is the thing like I think the longer I'm a pastor and the older I get I realize how powerful and beautiful the ways that I discover in scripture are for living my life like I I preached an entire sermon once on on the Sermon on the Mount called the good life just uh, Matthew 5 through 7 the ways that Jesus lays to live out our, the ways to live out our lives are so radical and so beautiful if we could just capture a vision of what it looks like. This isn't about guilt. This is about finding a better way to live. I don't care what you've done. And, and, and to be frank, some of you are going to continue to do stupid things, and this is not about beating yourself up over the stupid choices that you make. This is about continuing to say, look, God, what do you want for me and how do you continue to direct me back in the path that you want for my life? So here's two questions I want you to ask yourself. First, how are you preparing yourself for your future relationships or your future spouse? This is what I was trying to say earlier. Like, I'm not trying to be all religious on you, but you are constantly training your body and your relational muscle. You just are. If you become the type of person who is always looking for a thrill, right, some, something that's going to give you that high, whatever it might be, you always are going to need a bit more in order for that high to take place. And research shows that as the number of your sexual partners increases, your satisfaction in your future relationship decreases. 
I mean, one of the things I'm concerned about with, with Tinder and all the apps that we have, the other day, um, just for, for research purposes, I typed in Tinder into, like, uh, into uh, the iPhone app store. Turns out there's way more apps out there than just Tinder. Like, I had no idea. Wow. Um, the problem is, though, with the multitude of choices, with the multitude of choices, there's always something better just around the corner. One swipe away, and there's a better option. And we begin to habit ourselves to be people who always need something more, a new high, a new relationship, a new thrill. And as you do, your future happiness and relationships will diminish. The second thing you've got to do is to decide ahead of time. Decide when your rational brain is still in control. What does honoring God with my body look like? Because if you wait when, until your rational is not in control, you will make and can convince yourself of just about anything. And so as a new intern living in D.C., as someone who's single living in D.C., as a college student, whatever that, wherever you might be, as someone who's divorced or whatever the category you find yourself in, you need a plan and you need to be intentional with how you use your sexual and your relational capital. Not because the, some of you are continuing just to hop from one relationship to the next. Some of you don't even want the relationship. You just want somebody else to want you. You are in all the apps hoping, hoping and longing that the person that you reach out to will text you back, but knowing at the end of the day you have absolutely no interest in that person. All you want is that person to be interested in you so it fills a, valid, a sense of validation in your life. We want to be wanted. We long for intimacy. We were made for relationship. Now before we go on, some of you are still needing a simple answer. You're like, okay, I get it, wrong question. But seriously, can I sleep with, and then fill in the blank. <laughs> Here's what you need to know. Christians since the beginning have always had a radically counter-cultural sexual ethic. They've always believed that sex was saved for within the confines and the bounds of marriage. That's like not change from the earliest days, even though when they go off the rails later on, which is why it's hard to create a sex Christian sexual ethic because there's some really dark paths they go down. But, but from the earliest days of the church, the, 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 there, we find ancient Romans who write about the early Christians and they say this, they would share their food with anyone. And this was like, they were saying how weird this was. They'll share their food with anyone, but they, will only, but they won't share their spouse with anyone, right? This is the church has always had a very conservative sexual ethic. It is always believed that sex is meant for marriage. But this is more than about who you're going to sleep with. This is about having a plan for your relationships. You need to decide ahead of time what you will and will not do. Some of you just can't stop yourself from connecting with people that you have no interest in. Going back to a relationship, going back to him or going back to her simply because you can't handle being alone. And you need to create a plan and say, that's not the path I want to keep living up, going down. 
Create a plan. Say, you know what? I'm only going to give so much time to romantic relationships in my life. I'm only going to give them so much headspace. Some of you are allowing this question to take up all of your headspace. Physical relationships, relationships in general, are great and a beautiful thing. They bring two people together, and when they work well, it's amazing. But some of you are investing way too much time and energy and chasing after relationship. I still, um, I keep just thinking of the words that Pastor Angela said a couple weeks ago when she talked about the idea of like, if all I do is fixate on this, on, on the relational aspect, someday when I do find that person that I want to be in a relationship with and they are asked, so what have you been doing all this time up to this point? And you're like, I've just been kind of hanging out waiting for you, right? <laughs> you want a story that's worth telling. I hope I got it right. <laughs> I wasn't expecting her to be sitting on the front row when I quoted her. <laughs> you need to plan. You need a plan for your body. You need a plan for your time. You need a plan for your relational investment. And as big a sacrifice as this may feel, giving up something now for something better later is not a sacrifice. It's an investment. So here's what I want to end with. God created sex not simply so we can procreate and not simply so we can meet our animal urges, but as a way to express and to experience deep intimacy with another person and to bond with that person. And in this beautiful and fragile act where two bodies come together, we are literally naked and hopefully unashamed and we make ourselves vulnerable to another person in both a physical but also an emotional way. And sex is a beautiful and powerful gift that God has given us and it brings us immense, can bring us moments of immense pleasure and immense joy and immense intimacy. But my fear is, and the reason I want to talk about this is because I'm afraid that we are training ourselves to become people who miss out on what God has for us. Because we are using sex to fill a short-term hole, whether it be boredom or esteem or validation or loneliness. But ultimately, and you know this, ultimately, it can never fill any of those longings and often leaves us empty and longing for more. Now, while we are sexual beings and our, our sexuality is tied, to, it is tied to something deeper and that something deeper is a longing for relationship, whether we know it or not, what we ultimately are longing for is intimacy. The greatest human desire is to be known fully and loved. We're so afraid that if someone really gets to know us, they will reject us. And I think what Genesis is getting at and what Paul is getting is at is that sex is a beautiful and powerful gift that brings immense pleasure and bonds us to other people, but we often take cheap seconds of pleasure in the now, sometimes sacrificing future gain. And I'm afraid we're shaping and forming ourselves into people who chase after our pleasure at the expense of others. After our own thrills, after our own short-term good, while using others to make ourselves feel better. And so here's the truth that I want to leave you with today. Sex is not just physical. It involves the whole of our being. Body, mind, and soul. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for Paul's words. We thank you for scripture. We thank you. I thank you for a community where we can have these conversations. And I pray that this week and that this conversation would continue to go on. And I pray that this would not be a a conversation that brings guilt or brings shame. But I I pray that as a community, we begin to, to ask ourselves, not just about this, but about so many other issues, is what does it look like to be people who honor you with the ways that we live our lives? What does it look like to be people honor you with the way we use our bodies, with the way we use our finances, with the way we use the vocational gifts and skills that you have given us? I pray you continue to shape and form us into people who look like you. In Jesus' name. Amen.